We are in week two of our series we're calling Ethos. And um, what an ethos is, it's, it's our guiding values of who we are as a church. It's our DNA. So if you're new here today, it's a great time for you to, to attend because you're getting to learn a little bit more of the nuts and bolts of why we do what we do and why we place higher emphasis on discipleship. And this weekend thing happens and we do a good job. But it's not the biggest win for us as a church. So last week we looked at ethos number one, and the one that we talked about was, we said, it's not about us, it's about, you can fill in the blank, it's about Jesus. Jesus is over this church, this is his church, he's the one that we listen to, he leads, he guides, he directs, and we listen to what he says and do what he says, and if he doesn't say anything, then we stay still, and when he moves, we move, but we do not move without Jesus. It's not about us flying under the banner of Together Church and look at us and here's the marketing campaign and here's the highway signs and here's the whatever else you want to put it on. It's about Jesus. Everything that we do is about Jesus. If our church disappeared tomorrow from our community, I pray that it would be missed, not because of the things that we do, but because a big piece of the presence of God that was being shown to the people in our community have disappeared. So we say that it's not about us, it's about Jesus, and this is what we said underneath that. With Jesus, we love him, and we love the things that Jesus loves. We are people that have found hope in Jesus. This isn't a religion to us, but a relationship. So everything we do in our lives and at our church revolves around the fact that when we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And now we strive to give him all of us, and everything we do, Jesus and Jesus alone is our focus. He is everything here. Because without him, there is no here. We're, we're not being moved. Our, our hearts are not being changed without the moving of Jesus in this place. And that's why his presence is so important that we recognize it. Jesus is not just a name that we throw around. Because, well, we're church, so we should say it. It's what we live, breathe, and move in. It is the, the pulse of our church that keeps us moving. So we say that he is the the substance. Now the reason that this is the first of our ethos is we have to acknowledge that being self-centered is not the way to go in a church model. It is Jesus-centric. That is the way that we're supposed to move. Because if you can't get the first ethos right, the next three that we're going to be talking through, and you try to act those things out and do those things, they're just good deeds, but they don't have anything good attached to them because they're pointing towards the wrong things. So there's, there's a lot of people that say, I love Jesus, but they don't really have anything to do with people. But didn't Jesus say the two greatest commands are to love God and love other people? And sometimes we say that we do, but oftentimes we don't. And when, when we mess that up, we become what I call a spiritual narcissist. Where, yeah, it's Jesus, Jesus, and it should be. But man, that relationship should be pouring in to everything else that's happening with, our, with the people in our community, in our church. So our second ethos is this. We say that people matter to God. And then notice, we got a little dash in there, and to us. Because if we're going to learn how to live in relationship and community with one another, we need to understand the importance of how people matter to God. Because if we treated people the way that God treats people, it would be completely different for the church the church would have a bigger impact in the world than what it currently does. So here's our description when we say people matter to God and to us. 
The church is full of real people, not spreadsheets. So we intentionally, not by accident, not every once in a while, we intentionally take time to notice people, to know people, to pray for people, to care for people, and to encourage people, and to build one another up. This is a search and rescue mission for us as a church. Now, when people hear that, they automatically think the only thing we should be doing is just sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel. And we should. But that's not what a search and rescue mission is all about. When you get involved in search and rescue, when EMS picks you up from your home and rescues you from your situation, they take you to a hospital. And there you get treated. And there you get rehabilitated. So this is a search and rescue mission. We find people and introduce them to Jesus, and we put them in discipleship and treat them where they grow, and they can have spiritual growth. That doesn't matter if you're first time here. It doesn't matter if you've been here for 50 years. Your spiritual growth is the most important thing to us as a church. That's the most important thing. So this is a search and rescue mission. We will never allow this lifeboat to become a yacht club. But people just hang out. We'll talk about that some more next week. As long as there are people in our community who do not know Jesus, we will find ways to reach them. But here's the caveat. As long as there are people in this church, we will find every way for them to grow spiritually. This church doesn't exist for people who aren't here yet. Because when you say that we exist for people who aren't here yet, then what does that say about you that are already here? Well, you don't matter anymore. You're just a part of the machine. We just need you to do these however many things so we can grow as big as we want to. And that's not at all what we see in Scripture, is it? See, see God puts a high value on people. And what he says is, it's not about, the church isn't about people who aren't here yet. It's about people, period. So, if you're a member here or you're a visitor here and you even, if you can even say that you've been here a while but you've never fully connected, it's about people. And we're gonna love you regardless of where you're at and what you're doing. Because we care and value people. Not because we need you to do things so we can grow astronomically. It's not about numbers for us. It's about what Jesus wants to do in and through the lives of our people. I mean, when I look back at our story of, of where we have come, it blows my mind. Because we've done everything countercultural to what growth experts would say, what you should do as a church. We just did exactly what the scripture said, and people continue to show up every weekend and continue to engage in scripture. And Jesus and his word continues to be the topic of conversation in this place. So we balance with reaching people and discipling people that are here. Every person matters. When people show up, we say that we do not judge people when they come, and we do not judge those who are currently here. That we will allow everyone time to experience the same life-changing grace that God gives that we have experienced. Everybody will get that same thing. So it doesn't matter where you are and how long you've been coming we will walk you in the process of grace without judgment because that's what God says 
and that's how God treated us. And God says that you matter, and you matter to God, and you matter to us. And like I said, we got to look at what does it mean that people matter to God? Where do we pull that concept? Where does that come from? And I want to take you back to a very weird story. We're going to journey into the Old Testament today, into the book of Hosea. It's one of my favorite books. Um, I've, I've done a lot of reading on it, a lot of research on it, because it still, it amazes me. And you'll see in the story here in just a minute how far God was willing to go to tell this prophet Hosea, this is how much I love my people. This is how much I love my people. So in the book of Hosea, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open there. Hosea is a book that you probably haven't heard about. You probably have been skimming through Scripture and maybe have skipped right over it. And maybe you read the first few pages and thought, okay, <laughs> this is really weird when you get to chapter 1. It, it starts out weird. But what I believe when we look at this not-so-normal story, what we're going to experience is God's love for us, and we're going to understand how people truly matter to God and why they should matter to us. So a little bit of background information, as we always like to do. Hosea is what we would call a minor prophet. You had major prophets and minor prophets. It didn't mean that he was minor because he wasn't as important as major prophet Isaiah. He was just a minor prophet. He didn't write a ton of stuff. But what he did write had a major impact for us today and for that culture of that time. So 35 plus years, Hosea is prophesying to the northern kingdom in Israel. Israel at one time was one whole thing. And then idolatry entered and the country split to a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And that's when, if you take Israeli history, it gets really confusing. Because you went from having one king to now having two kings, depending on what kingdom that you were in. And one kingdom did not fare as well as the other because, of, again, idolatry took place. So here in Hosea, we find that God's people have betrayed him. No surprise, this continues to be the cycle of sin that happens all throughout the Old Testament. But every time that God's people get off track, God comes back in with a retribution. But he gives them, after, after they repent, God brings them back into repentance and brings them back in the fold of redemption. Every time. God is patient with them. So here they are worshiping other gods. And so God says to Hosea, I have a message for you to deliver to my people. It's going to be a weird message. It's going to cause you some pain and probably some embarrassment. But I'm not about your comfort, Hosea. I'm about your character. I'm about making you more like me because when people look at you, they're going to resemble, understand the love that I have for them as a people. So Hosea signs up for the task. And here in Hosea chapter 1, starting in verse 2, it says, When the Lord first began speaking in Israel, he was speaking to him through Hosea, he said to him, Go and marry a prostitute. Could you imagine that conversation, guys, with your mom? I was praying today in my quiet time, and God just told me that I'm supposed to go marry a prostitute. So if you see me later on, just understand I'm just following God's will. That wouldn't fly at all. He said that God tell. now this is God speaking to Hosea, go marry a prostitute so that some of her children, get this piece, go marry the prostitute that some of her children will be conceived through prostitution. In other words, she's going to have some kids that aren't going to be yours in the middle of this marriage. And if I'm Hosea, I'm thinking, okay, this is not God. This is, we need to back up here and regroup because this doesn't sound like anything God would be calling me to. But then God says, no, here's why I want you to marry a prostitute and feel the pain of her having children 
through her job of prostitution. He said, this will illustrate how Israel has acted like a prostitute by turning against the Lord and worshiping other gods. So Hosea marries Gomer. She's a prostitute and double whammy. She's got a weird name. (laughs) Mary Gomer. What did we just read? Like, what, what is this world that, that Jose is living in? I want you to go marry a prostitute? And by the way, she's going to cheat on you over and over and over again? Like, if you knew that your spouse was going to cheat on you over and over and over again, well, that's not going down. I'm not marrying you. He knew up front what this was going to cost. And he says... Hosea, your heart's going to experience extreme brokenness and pain. Because you're going to know how I hurt over my people Israel, who have turned their backs on me as their God. He says, there's going to be some really dark days in your life, Hosea. And my prayer for you is that when you feel that pain, that you turn back to me, your God, and be reminded of my love for you. He says, once you've experienced all of these things, because you got to, sometimes you've got to experience things before you can start talking about things. And he says, you're going to experience all of these things. And then, once you've had a personal experience, you're going to share that perspective with Israel on how I love my people and what they have done to me. But yet, even through the pain that they've caused me, the turning their backs on me as their God, that I'm still pursuing them with abandoned love, reckless love. It's a crazy, crazy story. You can imagine Hosea in this moment. Mary, who? I'm a good Jewish man. I don't hang out in the quarters of the city with prostitutes just to be seen in that part of town. What are people going to think about me? What I do? My identity that's in you, God, they're going to see me there and think that I'm speaking one thing but doing something completely different. You just got to get in the mind of Hosea for just a second. Like, he's not comfortable with this. Does he just be disobedient and just not do this at all? He has a choice that he needs to make here. And, and Hosea could have easily been disobedient and ignored God. But see, for Hosea, God outweighed his agenda. Because he was confident in the things that God told him because Hosea had been spending time with God in his presence and recognized when his presence was there. That's how he knew the voice of God of going, as crazy as this may seem, this is God speaking. And I'm willing to take whatever cost comes with this because it doesn't matter what I may feel and experience. The blessing of what God wants me to do in obedience is on the back end. So I'm going to be faithful to what he called me to. So here in Hosea, God's using the relationship between prostitute and prophet to illustrate his love for his people, his faithfulness for his people, even when they were unfaithful. To God. And what God desires more than anything else is a relationship with you and me, even though we've turned our backs on Him and have been unfaithful to God.
in this story, this isn't a wrapped up beautiful Disney princess story. There's no glass slippers here. There's heartache. There's no fairy godmothers. It's just a prostitute and a prophet illustrating God's love for us and why people matter. Think about it because Hosea is showing us a picture of this relationship with God. It's, this is way deeper than some contract type of love that we often view our relationship with God. Because many of us view God as a contractual deal that we have going with him. It's like, you remember buying your first house, anybody? Buying a house? They just throw a stack of papers in front of you like this. I don't know what I signed. I don't. I could have joined a terrorist cell. I don't know. We just signed, right? And so they throw papers. You need 15 signatures on this page. 15, and I mean, at this point, you can't even tell it's my name. I'm just signing away. You, were you there too? You guys doing the same thing, right? And when you're all done, then they say, all right, here's the check. The bank owns you now. Oh, that's what I signed. Okay, I'm now prisoner to the bank. Because when you sit there and sign all those papers, you enter into a new relationship with the bank. The bank doesn't care about you. They don't love you. Hey, I'm going to be late on my payment this month. Oh, I'm so sorry. Can we, can we pray for you? I got some candies we'll send. We'll just wait for your payment. Next. Ain't no bankers doing that. They're coming after you, right? You owe them. It's a contract. No, you signed an agreement that if I do this, then you're going to do this. The relationship that you enter into with that mortgage company is a contractual relationship because you're now owned by the bank. So as long as you do the things that you're supposed to do, then the bank's going to do the things that they said they were going to do. You break the contract, they're going to go off the rail and they're going to bring some pain into your life. And a lot of times what happens is you and I start to react to God like that mortgage document. That when you begin a relationship with God, that it's a contractual thing. So God, I'm going to do these things. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to give. I'm going to serve. I'm going to try to be nice to people. I'm going to do all these things, these checklists of work-based beliefs. But if I do all this, God, there's, there's a contractual agreement. There's some things I'm going to need you to do on your side. Give me some good kids. Give me a comfortable job where money's coming in. Give me these things, these, these felt-based needs I need you to meet. And, and we have these expectations. It's like you're bartering with God. If you do this, I'll do this. That's probably not the best person to be bartering with. But this is how we treat a relationship with God. Contractual agreement. I'll uphold my end of the bargain. God, you uphold yours. God lets you down because he didn't answer your prayer the way that you wanted it to. Then we don't talk to God anymore for a while. It's like we put God in a penalty box. When we're actually putting ourselves in the penalty box. But when we read Scripture, and especially here in Hosea, God is not pushing a contractual agreement between us at all. As a matter of fact, what God is describing is not a mortgage document between us and Him. It is more like a marriage certificate between the two. This is the way that God treats our relationship. When you got married, you signed one piece of paper. They didn't throw a stack of documents at you and say, start signing, we'll explain this later. There was one piece of paper. 
with one signature, with yours and your spouse, of course, and then the pastor. And, and you had this one document. You pledged your commitment to one another. You kissed your bride. You, you kissed your groom. You signed the document. That document was way more important than any mortgage document you've ever signed. It was a different agreement that you had going. Because for your marriage document, you were committing your whole life to that person. This is, the, this is a covenant and a promise that I have with you. So your marriage is, is committing your whole life to someone. But now there are things that are expected in a relationship with your spouse, are there not? Like, you're to be faithful. You're to protect. You're to provide. You're to be honest. You're to love. There's some expectations. Because when you don't do these things, it's not like you're breaking a mortgage contract. When you don't protect and love and care, it's like you can throw the marriage certificate away, but it doesn't negate the marriage certificate. It's a piece of paper. Because what really matters is that you had a covenant and a promise that you made before God into one another. That when I break my promise, I'm hurting the relationship. It's far more than just me. It is us. And God's saying, if you want to illustrate our relationship together, we have to use marriage. Because God's made a covenant with his people, and that is to have a relationship with us. So our relationship with God is not contractual, it's marriage. It's not about all the documents and lists of things to do. When you're in a marriage-type relationship with God, we move from living under fear to living under grace. Because I protect and love and care, not because I have to, because that is the desire of my heart. That is what God has called me to do. And this is what he's called us to do. So we live from law and fear to grace. I remember when I was eight years old that I was throwing a baseball outside. I, I had one of these little bouncy baseballs, and I'd always go out and just throw to myself because I had, probably didn't have a lot of friends, but I was throwing it to myself. And I remember one day, I just let it rip, and I felt as soon as the ball got right here, I could feel it up, go up rather than straight. And it's like slow motion, and I watched that ball go up and through a window in our house. And that was the first experience I had with prayer. Like, I just made all kinds of deals with God that if you will not let that window be broken, even though there was a crack, I know I'd heard these stories about you turning water into wine and healing people that were dead. If you could just fix that window, it would be great. Well, the window stayed broken. So did my trust with God at that point. Thought we were trying to get in this contractual agreement with him. If you'll fix the window, I'll go to Africa. Whatever you want. And it was a complete accident. It's not like I intended to break the window. It's a complete accident. But I knew that I was going to have to dig through the piggy bank to figure out how much that window was going to cost because I was going to have to pay the price for that. So when my parents came home, I thought, mm, here it goes. Life is over as we know it. Thanks, God. You had a missionary to Africa. You chose not to do it. <laughs> and you know what was interesting about that window is... To my surprise, I didn't have to pay for it. My, my parents just paid for it, and it was a done deal. 
I was surprised that they forgave me and they paid for it because it's not what I was expecting because I broke a window. But isn't that the story of all of us that we've broken glass accidentally and we didn't have to pay for it? Like we've broken our lives. We've been flawed and hurt. And we've been in that situation trying to negotiate out with God, if you'll just do this and I'll promise I'll do this. And God's going... No, you, you, everybody throws the ball their own way and everybody breaks the glass. But the price has to be paid and things have to be made right again. So somebody's got to pay that price. And he's going, Jesus paid that price for us so we wouldn't have to. You want to know how I love my people? Yeah, you broke the glass. But I'm your God. I'm your father. I paid the price for that. I'll fix the glass. This, this is where Hosea is at. Hosea in chapter 3, when you move into chapter 3, it's a broken glass. The situation for Hosea has gone from bad to worse. Well, how could that be? He had to marry a prostitute, and then he knew that the prostitute was going to cheat on him. By the way, go through Hosea chapter 1 and read the names of these kids. One of them's called Have No Mercy. <laughs> that was weird. Have No Mercy. Time to eat. He gives them these names of, I'm not with you. I'm not with you and have no mercy. Let's go. Get in the car. It was a constant reminder when they were calling these names. And this is, this is not a good situation. These aren't even my kids. But the situation goes from bad to worse. Because Hosea's wife, Gomer, leaves him with the kids that aren't his. And she takes off. And he's left with these children. And he's thinking to myself, what have I done? I just became a single father in like just a moment. That this is not going in the direction, God, that I need it to go. But what is God trying to do for Hosea? He's trying to teach him my love for you, my love for my people. So you can imagine how many nights that Hosea is probably pacing back and forth across the floor. Wondering, worried, sick, where is my wife? Yes, she's a prostitute, but she is my wife. Where is she? Is she hurt? Is she being abused? Is she even alive? And here Hosea paces back and forth, just longing for the day to see his wife again. And in Hosea chapter 3, verse 1, then the Lord said to me, because see, Pacing on that floor, Hosea had to put himself in a position to be able to hear from God. He wasn't looking for 10 steps to make this situation better. He was listening. What is God calling me to do? Because God put me in this situation for a reason. And I'm going to find out why. Because I'm going to be obedient no matter what it costs. And look, the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. Even though... There's always a comma there. Go love your wife again. Even though she commits adultery with another love. Go love your wife even though right now in this moment she's having an affair on you. Go love her. Go find her. Think about God saying that. To go and love your wife again. No matter what. No matter what situation you find her in. Go love your wife again. 
So Hosea goes out on a search and rescue mission. He's looking. He's going through brothels. He's going to places in town that he would never be caught dead in in search for his wife. God says, go find your wife and love her. Don't be mad at her. Love her. The Hebrew here means a loyal love, one that is consistent and doesn't change. In other words, Hosea, you're not waiting for her to come home anymore. You're going to find her. You want to know how people come to know Jesus? We go and find them. We don't wait for people to come here. The, the church is not a place for us to use as an uh, uh, evangelism tool of like, all right, we're going to do our part and we're just going to win as many people to Christ as we can right here in these seats. While that may happen, God has called us to go from this place and make disciples. And he tells Hosea, a loyal love, get out of your comfort zone, stop waiting for people to show, and go be a representation of who I am in the darkest of darkest places in your city. I would imagine Hosea at that point just took off running out of the door. He got the go-head. And he goes, remember this whole thing, as he's going, God's illustrating this whole relationship with us because look at this next sentence. God says, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves Israel. In other words, this is what you've done to me as your God, but I still love you. And this is the illustration. That I still love you despite all of that stuff. Even though some people have turned to other gods and they're depending on other gods, you're living in the land that I promised you, that I have provided for you, and you've turned your back on me as your God. But I still love you and have grace. And, and I'm not going to wait for you to come home. I am a God that's going to pursue you. That's how God loves us. He loves us again and again and again and again. When we fail, when we betray him, when we break the glass, God still loves us. And he's willing to go and take the initiative to bring us back. That's why when you read scripture in in Jesus tells the parable of the lost sheep. They're gathered in one place. They're shepherds in a community with the sheep, but there's one sheep missing. So the shepherd leaves the whole flock to go reach the one. He leaves the 99 to go find the one. What value does it say about the one that he went to go get? Because that sheep probably ain't very smart. Sheep normally aren't smart anyway. But the one sheep out of all 99 was probably the dumbest of all the sheep and he got lost from following the group but Jesus still left he says as a shepherd we still leave the 99 to go find that one it doesn't matter because the value is that they're my child it doesn't matter what they contribute to the flock they're still mine so look what it says with Hosea in verse 2 so I bought her back for 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and a measure of wine. Time out. Isn't this his wife? And he had to buy her back? Did you know that that's a strange thing, that he has to go and buy his wife back? Because here's the truth of the matter. Hosea 
had to go find his wife's pimp and pay him off to get his wife back. As a matter of fact, if you did the, the research on this, these are very weird things. 15 pieces of silver, barley, wine. I mean, dads, if a guy came and wanted your daughter's hand in marriage and that was his gift, that's a weird gift. But when you go back into their time, here's what it was. That was the price of a modern day, or uh, uh, the modern times. That was the price of an everyday slave. He bought his wife back for the price of an ordinary, common slave. Let, let that sink for just a second. Hosea goes to a shady part of town to track down his wife. When he finds her, she has gotten herself into a situation of sexual sin. And he has to buy her back at the cost of a common slave. And Hosea loved Gomer more than Gomer loved herself. Gomer is broken. She's lost self-worth. She's most likely struggling with all kinds of side effects. Did you know 68% of women getting out of prostitution have PTSD? They exhibit the same emotional challenges similar to a combat veteran. And on average, these girls have a propensity to go back five to seven times to prostitution before they finally actually get out of it. These are the wounds that Gomer would have. Because this old lifestyle that they, they walk in, Gomer's trapped in this pattern of destruction. But hope comes knocking on the door and pays a price for her. She's used to men paying a price for her. But this time the price that's been paid is much different. Because this time the price comes with hope and protection and emotional care and love. And she's never had that before. So Hosea goes out to locate his wife, finds the pimp, negotiates the deal with the pimp, and buys her back. And God says, this is how I love my people. He, he says, I'll find you no matter how bad it is. No matter what you've done, no matter how far you've gone, I will pay the price to buy you back. And I will bring you home. This is the picture of redemption. This is the picture of redemption. The word redemption was an economic term that was used, but redemption means to buy back. When Jesus paid the price on the cross for us, we were redeemed. He paid a price for us to be brought back into his family as our father. And so this is a picture in Hosea of what Jesus has done for us. That when he brought us back and he redeemed us, it wasn't like God found us in a castle. God found us in some pretty dark places. Our idolatry had gone crazy of us serving everything else, and God comes and he finds us. The Bible says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Your future sins that you hadn't even committed yet, Jesus had already paid a price for those things. And he found you where you were, and he redeemed you, and brought you back, and then gave you love like you've never experienced before. And now he brings you home 
and allows you to be in a relationship with him. So only Jesus was good enough to do that. He lived and he died and he secured our salvation so that you and I could enter into this relationship with God. That we could have this grace with God, that we could live out this grace every day with people. So I believe that when we live this out, our lives look a lot more like Jesus when we operate towards other people the way that God has operated towards us. Because there was no condemnation in any of these things. Hey, Hosea, go back. When you find her, before you pay the price, remind her how awful of a person she is. Did you read that in the text? He said, just go find your wife and love her. See, we, we sit in such fear that one day we're going to see Jesus face to face and he's going to play this movie of every mistake we've ever made. Can I just tell you that that film strip has been trashed and thrown away? What he's going to do is rather than showing you something, he's going to verbally express how he feels about you when he says, well done, well done, good and faithful servant. And that's what we have to look forward to in heaven. Is not seeing, but verbally hearing God telling us, great job. And maybe, and I always tell people that when I get there, he's probably just going to say, hey, bud, good try. It's a good try. I'll take it. I'll take it. Good try. Gomer, in, in chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, says this, Then I said to her, You must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. you got to stop. Because see, when we come to Jesus, we got to stop. Because all the things that we've been doing have caused distance between the relationship between us and God. And he says, you've got to stop those things. You repent of those sins, you've got to stop those things. It's not what you were made for. And he tells her, you must live in my house for many days and stop your prostitution. During this time, you will have no sexual relations with anyone, not even with me. Like, this is, you've got to stop. So he brings her home and he's basically given her an opportunity to begin fresh again. A new beginning for her. A new life for her. She doesn't have to worry about Hosea offering her out to be a prostitute. What she's got to do is embrace her identity and who God has just said that she is. So the new identity that she's given is not a prostitute. It's a wife. It's a wife. And when we see this and we, we look at her, we don't see Gomer as somebody who's unfaithful, but now she's somebody who's becoming faithful, who's hearing God, who is following through. She's not somebody who's unloved. She is somebody who is loved. You see her differently through the eyes of God. Church, Gomer is you and me. We're Gomer. We're loved enough to be sought by God, to be bought by God, and to be brought back to God. We're Gomer. And what we're called to do is to live in that reality of who God has called us to be. So, people matter to God and to us. Because when you recognize that you're Gomer and where God found you, 
it's really hard to cast judgment on other people that are living outside the will of God. Because isn't it interesting that we will put the same standards and judgment on people who don't know who Jesus is and judge them harshly rather than sharing the hope of what could change their lives and get them out of the thing. The person that gets on your nerves is probably there because God has given you the position to speak life into them. God sometimes calls you to be the Hosea to go and be, to find the Gomer. So we will treat every person that steps into to this community, a gathering, like Gomer. Doesn't matter what your past is. I care about what your past was. What I care about is where you are right now with Jesus. Because that's the most important thing. And if you tell me that you're a believer and you love Jesus and you read your Bible every day, I want to say, great, God's not finished with you yet. Let's get you on a path to continue growing spiritually to become more and more like Him. You know when we get saved, that's not the end of it, right? That seems to be the thought that a lot of people, well, I'm saved, so I've got it all together. No, no, you're still broken, hot mess. And God's got some things that He's going to be doing for a lifetime to bring sanctification to us. But the good news in that is when we mess up, he says, I make my mercy new every morning. Every morning. Gomer woke up the next day, new mercy deposited in her account. She spent time with God, heard from God. The next day she woke up, she was a little bit better. New mercy deposited into her account. And notice Hosea this whole time, he did not waver. And even everything she did did not change what he thought about his wife. We are the bride of Christ. All the sometimes dirty and scandalous, he still loves us regardless. And he gives us grace to come to repentance so that we can have this relationship with him. So people matter to God. You matter to God. And because you matter to God, you matter to me, and you matter to every person in this room. And we're going to love you regardless where you came from and where you're going. So I want to pray for you this morning as we get ready to, to close and sing. I think one of the best ways for you to respond this morning is just recognizing that what God's done in your life. How far you were, but how far you need to go. And just ask God to move in your life be reminded today that he loves you that you matter and that he truly cares about you and every little detail of your life he cares he wants to hear from you today father i thank you for this time that we have together lord if we can understand that everything we do is about you it's about jesus not about us and we understand when we make it about you that your people matter. So I just pray that when people encounter us here throughout this community, that they would encounter you through us. And Lord, I just pray in these moments, just remind us and that you love us, that we don't have to feel trapped in shame and guilt. Those are things of the enemy, those are lies. But you love us as we are. God, you want to move us back to that healthy relationship with you. So thank you so much for what you're going to do 
in these moments. And we pray these things in your name. Amen.